Bible, open it to that passage in Ephesians. Let's look at uh, some things from Ephesians chapter 4, those last few verses in the chapter. Back in 1973, there was a document entitled or called the Humanist Manifesto II. It uh, was a declaration of a number of uh, things that uh, the American Humanist uh, association decided were a part of their core values. And so they put this, this publication out. And one of the things that kind of has stuck with me through the years was the statement or one of the premises that they had was that the promises of immortal salvation or threats of eternal damnation are both illusory and harmful. They distract men from present concerns. What they said in that sentence is, you know, you Christians who say you've got to live right because there's going to be a heaven. And if you don't live right, there's going to be a hell. When you teach that, not only are you teaching an illusion that is not even true, but actually it's harmful to humanity. Because what you have and what you involve people in and engage them in is thinking about far-off, pie-in-the-sky kind of things that aren't even real. And it distracts them from present concerns when they ought to be buckling down and doing good and, and doing things in society to make the world a better place to live in. You've got them thinking about far-off places like heaven and hell. I totally disagree with their conclusion. Uh, not only is heaven and hell not an illusion, but far from being harmful, does it not help our society to know? Don't people act better because of the promise of heaven? And doesn't the threat of hell restrain some people from doing things that they would otherwise do if there were no consequences? On the contrary, I think heaven and hell provide motives for good and righteous living and help us to improve the world and to have a, a better world in which to live. But for some people, their view of Christianity is this out-of-touch, pie-in-the-sky illusion that people just are out of touch with reality. And folks, that is as far from the truth as, as can be. I want to show you how from Ephesians chapter 4, as, as you know, as the, the Bible writers wrote the Bible, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that are narratives of the life of Jesus. They tell us who he was, what he did, some of the things that he taught and the miracles that he performed. Given information that we can understand and enough that we can base our faith in him as the Son of God. You come to the book of Acts and it tells us a history of the early church. But those epistles, those 21 letters that follow, tell us how to live as Christians, as disciples of Jesus. When I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I come to the conclusion that Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God. And being the Son of God, I want to make Him my Lord, and I want to live like Him, and I want to do the things He wants me to do. Those are the things contained in the epistles. What should I do? How should I live? What are His expectations of me. And I want to show you just from this one brief example how Christianity can help us to be better people 
we're not this irrelevant group of folks going through the air with their eyes closed or going through the world with their eyes closed. We have purpose and we have meaning that, that brings something to this life. You know, Jesus said himself in John 10 and verse 10 that I have come that you might have life, but that you ha- might have it abundantly. God gives us life. Jesus came to give us life, but not just life. It is an abundant life that Jesus has brought us. And so let's look together at these few verses and see if Christianity doesn't help us and help the world to be better people. Let's see if these things are really irrelevant or if they are exactly what we're looking for. In a society. In verse 25, let's look at the first thing that Christianity will do and how it will help my relationships. And it will bring integrity to it. In verse 25, listen to what the Apostle Paul said. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Christianity, if you pursue discipleship, if you pursue to try to conform your life into the life of Jesus, you're going to be a person of integrity. You're not going to be one who lies. Christianity says, folks, you've got to stop lying. You're going to have to start speaking the truth to everybody. Because, after all, we're all in this together. I grow weary, don't you? of people who lie. Uh, You you watch the news, and not to pick on politicians in particular, but they'll tell and they'll make these promises and they'll lie. And there have been sports figures here in, in recent years that absolutely declare that they have not broken the rules and come to find out they were just just lying through their teeth. And, and you have somebody over to your house. You have your air conditioner not working right. Or, or you take your car to get it worked on. And, and Don't you want to know that what those people tell you, that it's the truth? I, we want, our society wants a, a, a world in which people have integrity. That's what Christianity calls me to. It says you've got to quit your lying. You're going to have to be truthful. You're going to have to be in, have integrity. When, when you speak, it needs to be the truth. Do you know how that would help her relationships? You think Christianity is irrelevant to the way we live? You think it causes us to think of things way off yonder that don't have any impact on the way we live? Not so. These are present concerns. I think all of our society realizes we're tired of people lying to us. We want to be told the truth. That's what Christ calls us to. Christianity is relevant. It says, number one, you need to be a person of integrity. Who's against that? We all respect that. Number two, it'll check our emotions. Look at what he says in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Emotions are not intrinsically evil. I think sometimes we have the wrong idea about that. If you, if you have a hatred for something, or if you have anger, or uh, even love, 
There's nothing wrong with any of those emotions. It's the object of those emotions that often determine whether those things are, are good or bad. Is it all right to hate certain things? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, that we're to abhor that which is evil. I need to hate sin. I need to abhor sin. I need to love that which is good. Christianity calls those emotions into check and says, you can be angry, but don't go to the point of sin. You can experience emotion, but don't let it get out of hand. And again, is that not a good thing? Is that not helpful? A a system, an ethic that tells us to be careful with our emotions, that's not relevant to today? Do you know how many homes are destroyed because of rage and anger and and ugly talk and hate-filled speech and behavior? What if people lived after the ethic of Christ? What if we decided to, to, okay, I I need to think before I speak here. I I need to slow down. I, I need to... What if we got angry at the proper things and didn't get mad about... How many times do we get upset about things and get mad and bent out of shape when there are things that God doesn't even care about? He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get upset because of this, that, or the other. And here I am all just torn up. What if I learned to get angry about the things that Christ gets angry at and to to go with the flow with those other things? Wouldn't it be a better world? When I look at the Bible and I see the things that God was angry about and that Jesus got angry over, those are things that are pretty noble causes. Things that hurt people. Things that destroyed lives. Those are the things that made Jesus angry. If I pursue that course, would that not be a good thing? Would it not help my relationship? I I can't bring all kind of you know, emotions to a relationship that are unchecked, that are unbridled, that's a recipe for disaster. But being a disciple of Jesus, it will check my emotions. You can be angry, but don't sin. Don't let that, don't stew over this thing. You get it taken care of and you get past it. That's what Christ calls us to. That, to me, is very Relevant, especially in a society in which, well, look at how many, how many problems there are with people not being able to get along with each other because of their lack of control, their lack of self-control. Look at a third point in, from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28. If we follow Christianity and follow Christ, it, it'll help our behavior. In Ephesians 4 and verse 28, he says, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Christianity will cause us to stop doing wicked things. That's not relevant. That's pie-in-the-sky thoughts that don't concern themselves with present-day realities. Not at all. Don't you wish 
people stopped doing wicked things, you wouldn't have to lock your door. You wouldn't have to hire the kind of police force that we have. Their, their service would be more about helping people in need uh, apart from need from crimes and that sort of thing. Christianity is relevant. It'll check our behavior. It'll cause us to do things that are right and good and wholesome. Well, in fact, in Galatians chapter 5, there are the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit enumerated, beginning in chapter, chapter 5, verse 19. They're contrasted, the works of the flesh versus the fruits of the Spirit. And as he goes down through that love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all, all that list of fruits of the Spirit, he concludes that section with, against such, there's no law. You don't have to make a law against kindness, love, patience, joy. Those are things that everybody wants. If only our society could have that disposition. Nobody makes laws against those things. And those are the things that Christ calls us to. A life where we live a way that is respected by all men. It's, it's not a life against which you have to make laws as some of the other things listed in the works of the flesh. It'll check our behavior. Uh, look, look at the fourth point, too, and we'll go on to verse 29. It says in verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to its hearers. Following Christ, being a Christian, will also check your speech. How many times have people said things that have been hurtful and you wish... How many times have we said things that have been hurtful and we wished, I wish I wouldn't have said that. You know, it got out, the damage is done, you can't fix it. You just hope people will forgive. Christianity is a way of life that says, folks, listen, you're going to have to control your tongue. Now, according to what James says, nobody can tame the tongue. It is always going to be that unruly member. But he does say that if we don't bridle that tongue, our religion is vain. So we have to make an effort. Though it will always be a struggle, we have an obligation to try to control it. And Christianity says you don't just say what comes into your mind. I've heard people brag about, well, I just say what I think. Well, you shouldn't do that. I don't know that that's a noble trait as they think it is. It, sometimes we need to keep our mouth quiet. And, and I want you to notice, too, the, the corrupt speech is not just... When we say corrupt speech, we're talking about what? Dirty jokes, foul language, cursing, swearing, those kind of things. In contrast in this verse, what's being contrasted is speech that edifies, contrasted with corrupt speech. It makes me consider that part of corrupt speech would be speech that just tears down, doesn't edify. There's corrupt speech and there's speech that edifies. I don't want you to point at anybody right now, but do you know anybody that 
when they speak, they're just negative. Always just tearing down. Always seeing the bad side of things. Always complaining and murmuring and everything that's out of their mouth is just what's wrong here or there. Or Those people wear on us. We, I want to be a person, and I would like to think that when I'm around people, they're not just saying, oh, when, when can I get away from him? Because he just brings me down. Every time I talk to him, he just brings me down. I, I don't want to be that kind of person. And God doesn't want us to be that person. Paul tells us that we're to do all things without murmuring and disputing. Let's be people that have the mind of Christ. And we're not always criticizing and tearing down. We speak words that edify and words that, that are good. And by the way, I want to mention one more thing. We, we kind of passed over it. But that good behavior in verse 28 that we're supposed to have, I want you to notice this. He said, don't steal. You can't be a Christian and steal. You're going to have to work at labor. And the money that you earn... Go spend it on your big house and your new boat and your, your fourth car and your... Nothing wrong with any of those things. But what he says is, so that you may be able to help others. You don't think that's relevant? You, you have the notion that Christianity is concerned about something way out there and not concerned about their fellow man? Listen to what Jesus said. I want you not to steal... That's concern about my fellow man. I want you to work with your own hands. And the money that you make, certainly you can provide for yourself and enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with that. But the goal is not just meeting my own needs and my own wants, but it's also to do good for others. You, you make this money so that you can help people. That's relevance. That's not high in the sky. And then finally, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Christianity will help to make us kind. He says in verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind. Don't you wish more people were kind? Haven't you been... In, a, in traffic enough times that you wish people were kind or in a, in a shopping line where you wish the woman at the register would be kind uh, and maybe those women at the register working are thinking, well, I wish some of these customers would be kind. Be kind. Tender-hearted. I know some people that are very unkind and they're hard-hearted. And again, I don't like to be around that kind of folk. And, and that's, that's a turn-off. That's a negative thing. It, that doesn't do anybody any good. We don't, we don't appreciate that. A number of years ago, there was a woman in a line uh, in Kentucky at a Walmart. Kim was behind her. And she came through the line, and she wanted to pay for something, and she pulled out her credit card, and, and uh, the the cashier said, could I see your ID? That's just the policy there. Or maybe it was a check, and she, she demanded to see the ID. And that lady said, you don't know who I am? And that 
young cashier said no. And she said, my husband used to be the governor of Kentucky, which he was. And she said, I didn't know that. And that woman just left everything right there, a big old line of stuff, and just left the store, wouldn't even take it, because some young girl didn't know that her husband, 30 years earlier, was the governor of Kentucky. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Doesn't the world need more of that? Listen, Christianity is not just some set of rules. It's not, and it cannot be relegated to just a list of do's and don'ts. It is a way of life that if you live, it'll make your existence better here and now, and it'll make it better after the grave. Far from being an illusion and being harmful, Christianity is relevant, and it is real. And it doesn't distract us from present concerns. It addresses present concerns. Jesus said, again, in John 10 and verse 10, I came into this world that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Christianity is a religion that meets our needs here and prepares us for the next life. And if you're not yet a Christian, let me make an appeal to you. Well, let the Lord make this appeal. I just want to tell you what He said. In Revelation chapter 22, as it comes to the end of the the last book of the Bible, Jesus says, the Spirit and the bride say, come. You understand what that invitation involves? God is saying, come, drink of the waters of life freely. I want you to go to heaven. Would you, I've just described to you what heaven is. Come. And not only does God want you to come, but the bride does too. This church is the bride of Christ. These people here are not against you. We're for you. And we say come. And if you were to step out and come saying, I need to obey the gospel, I need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins, you're not going to be looked at, gawked at. These people are for you. We have been there. We've done that. You have a friend who will help you. You have family who will help you. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need to make your life right, You need to make some changes in your life. You need to take Christianity seriously and start doing the things that He calls us to do and the way to live. If you need to respond, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. We're for you. And we'll pray with you. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.